It's good to worship with you guys today. I love that, that our worship team is not only talented, but committed to the Lord and committed to leading us in songs that really point us towards him. And it's just great to get to worship together as the body of Christ. If you're new here today, welcome. My name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors I'll be preaching today. And we're glad to have you. We hope that you enjoy this service, but most of all, find opportunity to connect uh, to our Savior and to some of the people around you. Uh, a couple of quick announcements, and while I'm going through some announcements, if you would like, we're going to be in Psalm 51. We're going through uh, the Psalms for the rest of summer, and so we'll be in Psalm 51 today. Uh, the big announcement is uh, we have decided to end Friday night services in Sarver. And um, that was a decision that we came to uh, regretfully for sure. There's certainly a, 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 um, a pretty good amount of disappointment and that that didn't take. But uh, we're also grateful for many wins. It's not the win we thought it would be. We were hoping to establish a thriving church that would eventually become an autonomous church there. And um, a year in, we're just things are kind of going the wrong direction in terms of attendance and response and everything. And um, it's just getting more and more burdensome on our staff, on our volunteers, on our budget. And so uh, it just seemed right uh, to, to pull the plug on that for now. However, we still have a strong desire to see greater gospel witness there in the Sarver area. And so we will definitely remain open to any opportunities that might come up in the future there or elsewhere. Uh, but for now, we just thought it best to regroup. And so there'll be two more Friday night services in Sarver. If you wanna come out and worship with us, please feel free to join us. The 25th will be the last one. Uh, but again, we saw God do many, many great things. There were so many, so many reasons um, to not regret what has happened there and the effort that has been put in, but to celebrate what God has done. And specifically, uh, we have several new uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who through that campus heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, and became Christ followers. And so we're incredibly grateful for that. They're still walking with us today. They will, um, most of them are going to uh, begin attending here uh, in Lower Borough. And so I uh, just wanted to give you that update so that you're in the loop on what's going on. Also, uh, our tutoring program is about to start up for the school year. Some of you may be familiar. Uh, Janet Smith leads a tutoring outreach in New Kensington, and uh, we use the Salvation Army building down there and have several students who, whose families have reached out because their children are following behind in reading. And so um, Janet Smith has been doing this for a long time. She has curriculum, she has training available. And so we've been training up uh, volunteer tutors to go and help those kids get caught up. And so she's looking for new volunteers. And it would be a one-on-one -on -one assignment. She would give you the training, the materials that you need, show you exactly how to use what's really a nice turnkey program. And you will be assigned a student for this school year and meet with them weekly to help them progress through the materials. Uh, if you'd like more information about that, please uh, let Janet know. There is a sign-up, uh, a little table in the fellowship area that you can sign up to get more information and she would love to connect to you if you wanna be a part of that. All right, with that, like I said, we're in Psalms. We're gonna look at Psalm 51 today. Then uh, after Labor Day, we're gonna begin a study on the book of Revelation, which I'm really excited about. Spoiler alert, though, I'm not gonna name the Antichrist or predict the time of Jesus's return. So I'm sorry, 
I know that's what people really want when we come to the book of Revelation, uh, but we're just gonna study the word of God the way we study every book of the Bible, and it's gonna be awesome. I'm really looking forward to this, been enjoying my time of, of preparation for that. And so that's where we're going after Psalms. Psalm 51 is a psalm written by David after his sin with Bathsheba. And if you're not familiar with that story, during the time that David was king, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, who was a married woman. Uh, She became pregnant as a result of that adultery. And David tried to basically arrange it so that her husband would think that this was his child. And when he didn't cooperate, uh, David essentially um, had him murdered. And so here we are, King David, who's supposed to be leading the people of Israel in godliness, involved in this horrific, horrific scandal. Uh, He has broken God's law in some of the worst ways, and he's been called to repentance. And we want to use this psalm as an example of what true repentance looks like, uh, because we we do know that God received his repentance and showed him mercy. And so um, that's kind of what we're going to do today as we look at Psalm 51. Let's read it together. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. God, God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your presence, in your pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. Whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Would you pray with me as we consider this psalm today? Father, we are people who are separated from you by our own sinfulness. We are born into this world sinners. We live our lives as sinners. We do things not according to what pleases you. We do things according to what pleases our own sinful desires. Yet you are a God of mercy. You are a God of compassion, a God of love, a God who does not sit idly by as his creation wanders from him in rebellion, but you are a God who comes to rescue. 
You are a God who comes to make sinners clean. Fathers, we follow the example of David here today and explore what it means to truly repent, to truly throw ourselves at your mercy. God, would you remind us of the sufficient sacrifice that you made 2,000 years ago in sending your son to die on the cross in our place. May we find our identity not in how we have behaved, but may we find our identity in the price that you were willing to pay to redeem us. Cleanse us as David prayed. Wash us whiter than snow, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanna do two things today from this passage. First of all, I wanna look at the nature of sin. Sin is, of course, one of the most important topics in the Bible. It is, uh, it is really a, a, a massive part of the entire biblical story of God acting to redeem mankind. If it weren't for sin, we wouldn't need redeemed. If it weren't for sin, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. And yet sin exists and persists. And so what do we need to know about sin? Well, I don't wanna cover, we're not gonna obviously cover everything the Bible teaches about sin here, but I just wanna hit on three things that we see highlighted in this passage. First of all, you'll see these on your handout. If you have the handout we gave you on the way in, on the back there's a place to take notes. Three truths about sin. First of all, sin is first and foremost against God. Sin is first and foremost against God. David says something sort of surprising here. And you gotta remember, when, when you, it's, it's helpful, it's necessary really, when you open the Bible to understand what you're reading, where you're reading in the biblical narrative, what type of literature that you're reading. Uh, for for ex- example, if you, well, I was gonna say if you open a newspaper, but I don't know when the last time anybody did that. Um, I guess I'm showing my age a little bit. But if, if you could imagine opening a newspaper, <laughs> there are different genres. There are different categories. You have th- things that are very serious, like obituaries and the police blotter. And then oftentimes you'll have satire or comedy. You'll have cartoons and you have sports and you have current events, and all of those require a, an understanding of the type of material that you're reading. And here we're reading poetic language. David is, and, and, and poetic language, there's a, a bit of freedom with the meaning or use of words. But, but I say that just to set this up. Let's look at what David says, because he says something very surprising. He says, against you, you alone I have sinned. David has destroyed a family. He has committed adultery with a married woman. He has had her husband murdered to cover up his sin. And he says, against you, God, and you alone, I've sinned. This is demonstrably not true. He has sinned against Bathsheba. He has sinned against Uriah. He has sinned against the entire kingdom of Israel as their leader. So why does he say this? 
Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. I believe David says this. He's speaking in hyperbole. And it's very important that we understand why he does that here because we have a tendency to view sin as primarily against another human being. If you lie to somebody and somebody calls you out, it's likely your first reaction is going to be, I sinned against them. I lied to them, I deceived them. If you steal from a store, this is, this is one of the reasons why we, we, we tend to minimize certain sins. People, people go into Walmart, they steal $50 worth of stuff and they walk out and you say, why did you do that? And they're like, ah, it's Walmart. They can, they can afford to take the loss. You're, you're viewing your sin as primarily against other human beings. And David turns that around and he says, he's teaching us something very important about sin. Every sin is first and foremost against God. And that's why every sin matters. Every sin is an act of rebellion by a created being, us, who, whose entire existence is owed to the kindness and goodness of a God who created us to enjoy him and to be with him forever. And so every sin is an affront against who he is. It's first and foremost against God. Every lie, every hint of pride, every dose of lust is sin against fellow human beings. But it's so much more a sin against God. I mean, think about this. Bathsheba and Uriah's family likely heard David's words. I mean, if, if Uriah is your brother and he's now dead and his, his wife is carrying King David's baby, you, there'd be a tendency to say, what do you mean you've only sinned against God? You've sinned against us. My brother's dead. And again, I don't think it's David's intention to teach us that sin is not against human beings. It's just that it's so much more Sin against God. The, the, the audacity of human beings who were literally created in the image of God, received life through his very breath, and were given this incredible creation to live in and to steward, to say, you know what, God? I don't care what you think. I'll do it my way. I'll do things the way I want to do them. David's calling us to a very important truth. When we sin, we are sinning against a holy, eternal, gracious God. There's no small sins, regardless of the impact on other human beings. And there is an impact, oftentimes a significant one. But that impact pales in comparison to the offense that it is to God. So three things about sin. First, first of all, sin is first and foremost against God. Number two, we're reminded in this passage that sin cannot be removed 
by good deeds or offerings. We're reminded that, that in order for sin to be erased, this is going to take the supernatural act of God himself. This is what David says. You do not want, verse 16, you do not want a sacrifice or I would bring it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Here, David has at his disposal all the resources of the kingdom. If, and, and, and under the, the Mosaic law that God gave through Moses to Old Testament Israel, many, the, the prescription for having many sins dealt with is an offering. It is oftentimes an animal sacrifice or, or to bring resources. There's, in order for God to show that, that sin cost something, he has ordained this system of sacrifice. However, David's got a problem here. For the sins of adultery and murder, there is no prescribed sacrifice. The penalty is death. Here is a man who is in a better position than anybody else to offer a sacrifice to God to have his sins erased. And yet, no sacrifice exists. There is nothing he can do to atone for what he has done. There is nothing he in himself can do to remove the guilt of his sin. And so he throws himself upon the mercy of God. And David knows something about God. He knows that, that, that God responds not just to sacrifices and burnt offerings. He knows that, that more than that, God responds to a broken spirit. He says confidently, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And he says that with such confidence because he's experienced this. He's experienced that God is a God who shows mercy to the humbled. He's a God who, who shows mercy to those who throw themselves at his feet, acknowledging that there's nothing they can do or nothing that they can offer that would make this right before God, that they're wholly dependent upon his mercy. Same is true for you and I. When we sin, there's, there's not something we can do. I think so much, so, so much of the world views sin as a, a negative account before God that if I make enough good deposits, yeah, I did some bad things, but I'm gonna make enough good deposits I'm gonna be kind, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring my, my account at least back to, to zero, if not into the positive. And it just doesn't work that way. We're misunderstanding the magnitude of the offense of our sin. We're treating this as minor traffic violations, if you roll through a stop sign, we have a justice system that says you, if you pay a fine, I think it's 
like $250 now probably. It just keeps going up and up. But if you pay a fine, then, then that error, that, that sin, that rebellion is erased. But it doesn't work like that before God. There's nothing David could do. Not only can he not undo his adultery and the pregnancy that resulted, not only can he not undo the murder of Uriah Bathsheba's husband, but he cannot undo the rebellious nature by which he sinned against God. And you and I are in that exact same position. When we sin against God, there's nothing we can do. There's no sacrifice that he accepts. There's no good deed that restores us back to a good relationship with him. However, there is a way back. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Thirdly, the third thing that we observe here about sin is that sin is displayed in both our nature and our behavior. Sin is, is displayed in both our nature and in our behavior. David says explicitly, for I am conscious, verse three, I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. And then listen to what he says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. The sin problem that David has goes all the way back to the moment his life began. Even, even before he was birthed, he says, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David is touching on an important part of understanding why our good deeds and our offerings cannot remove our sin before God is because sin is not only things that we have done, but we are sinful by nature. You think, well, that's a horrible way to view humanity. And I say, well, it's a realistic way. It's, it's realistic, isn't it? How, how else do you explain? I was, just, I was listening to a, a book um, on World War II last night as I was just sitting around relaxing and, and, and I, my mind just went to, how in the world did Adolf Hitler convince an entire nation of otherwise rational human beings to participate in the Holocaust? I know that's a complex answer. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a fairly involved subject. But how else, my, my point, how else do we explain the awful things that human beings are so easily capable of? There's a biblical answer. We're born sinful. The biblical answer is that when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they commit acts of rebellion against God, but they fundamentally changed the nature of humanity. And that, that sinful nature that desires to rebel against God was passed down to every human being. And so sin is displayed in, in who we are. We, we have a much deeper need for our sin. If sin, is, if, if sin is part of me, if it's not just when I do bad things, but that there's fundamentally something wrong with my nature, then, 
then the prescription for that must be much more thorough than just trying to do some good things to outweigh the bad things. And the biblical, the biblical um, explanation for that is that we must be born again. That when we were born, the first time we were born into rebellion, this is what David is saying, I was guilty when I was born, I was sinful when my mother conceived me, therefore we need to be born again. Okay, so that's, that's the three things that we can observe here regarding sin. Lots of bad news, <laughs> lots of bad news. But I hope that you recognize that the good news far outweighs the bad news. The good news is, if I could just take a moment and point us in the right direction, the good news is that God has remedied all of this in sending his son to live on the earth in complete and perfect obedience to, the, to God's law and then to die on the cross to, to take the penalty of our sin upon himself. Therefore, new birth is possible. And therefore, to have our, our, the guilt and the shame and the penalty of our sin washed away as David pleaded for here, to be cleansed by God is possible. It's not only possible, it's readily available to all of us here today. There is not one person in this room that needs to leave here today with the weight, the guilt, the shame of your sin still upon your shoulders. You can have complete forgiveness. So how do we get that? I wanna talk about true repentance because Jesus made it clear the way to salvation was through repentance. The way to salvation was to believe in him and to repent of our sin. And so how do we repent? Well, David lays out a very nice prescription for us here. There are three requests that David makes in this psalm. The three requests that he make in this psalm, I, I believe, comprise what true repentance is really all about. There's three things that he's asking God for. The first one, and the most obvious or logical one, is he's asking for God to cleanse me. He's saying, cleanse me, God. David has committed adultery and murder. As I said earlier, both of these are punishable by death. God does not say if you commit adultery, boy, you've really got your work cut out for you. It's gonna take you a long time to get right before me again. You're gonna have to offer yearly sacrifices. You're gonna have to be on your best behavior. No, he says the penalty for adultery is death. Don't bother coming to the altar. Don't bother bringing an offering or a sacrifice. You are guilty of a sin that deserves death. Likewise, murder. There is no sacrifice available to him. But he knows that God can cleanse him. He knows the nature of God's mercy. And so he begins his psalm, be gracious to me, God. According to what? Your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. What good is it to, if, if, if God is not willing to offer this type of mercy, why would David come to him? But David knows God. 
He knows that God is a God, not just of justice, but of mercy. So he he prays in verse seven, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I know we don't wanna think about snow. Some of you do. Some of you are like, I can't wait for winter. You're sick, you need help. (laughs) Just enjoy this while it's here. This is the good time of year. But winter does provide this beautiful, this beautiful picture of purity, at least for the first 30 minutes. And then the plow trucks come through and it turns to dirty mush. But, but if you live out in the country, it's preserved a bit longer. You see this beautiful picture. What is whiter than snow? Sand. Sand. <laughs> I mean, think about what David is saying here. What completely... Completely wash away my guilt. Don't just make me feel a little bit better about my sin. Don't, don't just, just get me to the point where at least I can get up and look in the mirror. Don't, don't just get me to this place where, where the community is not staring at me and judging me. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. What can do this except for the blood of Jesus There is nothing in this world that can make you clean before God, free of the the penalty and the guilt and the shame of your sin other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. That's repentance. Repentance says, God, I've got one hope and it's your mercy. There's but one way this works out and it's completely up to you. And yet I believe in your faithful love. I believe in your abundant compassion. I believe that you are a God who delights to cleanse sinners like me. That's the first request that David makes. The second is this. He requests of God, restore me. Restore me, Lord. David's sin is constantly before him. He's he's not just guilty, he's broken. he's, He's undone. This is a man who has has the the weight and the responsibility not only of being the political leader of Israel, but being their spiritual leader. He is the one who is to fulfill God's promise of a godly king. He is the one that all of Israel is looking to as this man who is favored by God, in whom God's spirit is dwelling. And he is to lead them in all righteousness. And he's got a really nasty secret. He allowed his lust to carry him into unspeakable sin. He allowed his lust for more for himself to cause him to take from another man his bride. And if that's not bad enough, when he tried to cover it up, it just got worse and it got worse. And now he's had this man killed. 
and he still has to do all of the stuff. He still has to get up in the morning and go be king. And when he walks down the street and everybody's saying, there he is, there's King David, there's our leader, the one who's favored by God, the one who's gonna lead us in righteousness. And then inside he's dying. He's broken. This is what's written about in Psalm 32, verse three, where the Psalm says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The weight of hidden sin is, is literally more than we can physically bear the weight of concealing our sin, both before God and before man, it eats you alive. David is broken. And so he pleads with God, restore me. Back in Psalm 51, verse eight, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. It's as if, it's as if he was so consumed by his sin that even his ears could not hear goodness. He would see the people's mouths moving as if they were exclaiming praises to God, but, but he was, his, his hearing was so drowned out by the weight of his sin because he says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And I wonder if anybody noticed. I wonder how many people were going, what? David doesn't seem well. Verse nine, he says, turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Listen, he remembers his predecessor, Saul. When Saul sinned against God, God took his Holy Spirit from Saul. So he says, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. That's restoration, that our heart is made new, that we can once again hear joy and gladness, that we can join in the praises of God's people of what a great God he is because our transgression has been cleansed because our body has been restored, the weight of our sin, we don't feel it any longer because it's been removed by God. He has taken our sin, as he says in his word, and he has removed it as far as the east as from the west. What does that mean? It means that it's never gonna touch you again. Your sin is gone. has been carried away by the grace of God. David requests to be cleansed. He requests to be restored. And his final request is, use me. Cleanse me, restore me, and use me. David understands the goal of his repentance was not only to have his guilt removed, but to be restored to usefulness in God's kingdom. To be, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to have your sin washed away 
doesn't just lead you back to feeling good in the presence of God or, or, or being relieved of the guilt of shame, but it comes full circle and it, it, it makes possible your redeployment into God's service. David has a responsibility. He doesn't want to just ride out the rest of his days, at least my sin's forgiven. At least, at least that whole Bathsheba thing has been worked out. But too afraid to lead the way that God has called him to lead. And too weighed down by his past to be useful in God's kingdom. He says, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Verse 13, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Make me useful in your kingdom again, Lord. Use Use me as a testimony, as an example of your mercy and your grace. Because guess what? David's not the only one in the kingdom who has sinned. And they need a leader who can stand up and say, I've been there. I've, I've fallen away from God. I've, I've committed sin and I've hidden that sin. And let me tell you, it got a lot better when I confessed it before him because he's a good and he's a merciful God. And now David's got a testimony that can restore the people who are hiding their sin. He once again can lead the way that God has called him to lead. And so he says in verse 18, in your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David saying, look, we've got a problem here. The purposes of God, the, the kingdom is not being advanced the way you want it to because the man who's sitting on the throne as king is broken. Restore him so that your will can be done. In the same way, we have, we have the same problem in the church today because many of us shrink back from, a, from doing what God has called us to do because of the weight of our sin. Many of us don't step up and lead. We don't lead in our, uh, men don't lead in their families because they feel guilty. They, they feel ashamed of their sin. Men don't lead in the community. Men don't lead in the church. Women are being hindered from passing on to the next generation the good news of the gospel because they feel inadequate and unqualified. We have not experienced the true restoration that comes from true repentance. And because of that, we're not being useful for his kingdom. I think one of the most powerful stories in the gospels is the story of Peter's denial of Christ at his arrest and crucifixion and Jesus's subsequent restoration of him after his resurrection. If you're familiar with this, if you're not familiar with the story, before Jesus went to the cross, Peter was like the most outspoken of his followers to say, I'm ready, Jesus, let's go. Let's, let's take this hill. I'm ready to fight for your kingdom. I'll die before I deny you. And Jesus says, you're gonna deny me three times before the sun even comes up tomorrow. 
And then he did. And this bold, ready to die, take the next hill, on fire for God leader became this timid non-leader whose guilt was crushing him. And Jesus knew that wouldn't do. He knew Peter had a part to play in advancing the kingdom of God. And so before he ascended into heaven, after his resurrection, Jesus pulled Peter aside and he said, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) And that's a funny thing to ask because before Jesus died, Peter was, he, he, he was boldly proclaiming that he loved Jesus more than anybody else who was following him. Like he wanted to be known as the guy who loved Jesus the most. And Peter, and, and Jesus pulls him aside, he puts his finger right on that wound. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he asks him a second time, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Peter says again, you know I love you. And the third time, I think Peter gets it. He did, he's like, I denied you three times. How could you possibly use me? And Jesus says, go feed my sheep. And he redeploys Peter. He, he commissions him. Having forgiven his sin on the cross, he makes sure that it hits home with Peter. He makes sure that it goes all the way to Peter's heart. That when Jesus takes away your sin, he cleanses you, he restores your brokenness, and he commissions you for usefulness in his kingdom. We need to experience this kind of repentance. We need to know the freedom of having our sin not only forgiven, but our bodies and our spirits restored and our purpose in life set by the agenda of God building his kingdom and using us in the process. And so I wanna ask you today, maybe, maybe you haven't done the things that David did, or maybe you have. The, the, the issue is not the magnitude of your sin in man's eyes, because we've already seen God's pretty offended by even the things we consider small sins. The issue is not the magnitude of your sin because the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice covers them all. The issue is the condition of your heart. The issue is, have you truly repented? Have you had your sins cleansed from your soul? Have you had your spirit restored? And are you following him in obedience in building his kingdom? That's true repentance. And it's amazing to see that God did that for David. He forget, there was consequences of his sin. The Bible's clear about that. There were things that, bad things that happened as a result, but he restored him. And David was able to, to live out the rest of his life useful for God's kingdom again, having the weight of his sin removed. And so I'd ask you just to close your eyes without looking around Is there anybody here who today would be willing to to raise your hand to say, I I need to have my sins forgiven today? 
I need a savior and I believe that Jesus is that savior. If that's you, would you just lift up your hands so I can know who I'm praying with? Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who are raising your hands, I want you to know how much Jesus loves you. He came and he died for you. He put his, he put his own body on the cross that you and I deserve so that we could be forgiven. Is there anybody else? I'll give you another second to raise your hand. Thank you. Those of you who are raising your hands or maybe those of you who are thinking about it, but, but for whatever reason haven't yet, would you pray along with me? Jesus, I need your mercy. There's nothing I can do to earn your forgiveness, but I believe you're a God of grace and mercy who loves to cleanse, restore, and use those who throw themselves on your mercy. And so today I confess that I am a sinner. I've broken your law. I have sinned first and foremost against you, the God who gave me life. And I humble myself today and I ask you to cleanse me. Restore my brokenness, body and soul, restore me. And God, I pray that you would use me for your kingdom. May my sin no longer hold me back. May I go forward in the mercy of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.